Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Let's get into it. All right. Uh, I, I didn't say the catchphrase. That's for the main show. I'm just saying we don't have any time. Uh, so, yeah, still uh, Blu-ray spring cleaning here. So uh, uh, over over at uh, Casa Bax. Um, and uh, so I watched 1971's Willard. Oh. Um, which I didn't really know. I knew... Here's what I knew about Willard. Okay. I knew that it was about a guy who's friends with rats, mm-hmm. mostly because I remember the 2003 remake with Crispin yes. Glover coming out, which I never saw. And I can then, lend it to you. I do own it for some reason. Do you really? Yeah. Is it Ch- good? It's pretty good. He's great in it. Sure. And yeah, it's not bad. Um, and then I know that it has a sequel called Ben, which has a song that Michael Jackson recorded that was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. That's, so those are the only things I knew. I didn't know that uh, Bruce Davison played Willard. Yeah. I did not know that. And I didn't know that Ernest Borgnine was the bad guy. Mm. Unfortunately... The movie's not actually that great. Have you seen actually seen it? No. Okay. I heard it wasn't that great. Yeah. Um, it kind of made me think, like, it made me want to watch the remake a little bit more because I was like, if someone approached this with any sense of, like, style or, like, creating tension or atmosphere, like, you could make a, like, a good, like, you know, creepy type of movie out of this. But it's, it seems like, uh, I don't know, it seems like, uh, w- <laughs> Willard, in a way, almost feels like a Carrie ripoff that happened to come out before Carrie was even written. Oh, Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's like it wouldn't be done right until it got to Carrie. Hmm. Uh, because it's not really a horror movie at all. Um, right. I, from what I understand, the newer one amps that up a little bit. It, it actually, it up, actually yeah. makes it more of a horror. This is about like a weird outcast guy who lives with his overbearing mom in a dilapidated mansion and they're out of money because mm-hmm. their father founded this company with Ernest Borgnine and then Ernest yeah. Borgnine like took the company over from him. Yeah. The dad committed suicide or something and now Willard works for the company, works for Ernest Borgnine uh, where he gets yelled at and then he comes home and his mom yells at him. Yeah. Um, and he's supposed to get rid of the rats that are in the backyard, but he mm-hmm. ends up being friends with them and then training them and all the other rats in the world show up. Yeah. Uh, and they do his bidding a couple of times. It's not like... It's not as much as I thought. He does like yeah. two things. Like really only two people die in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Just few enough that it could be argued that it's coincidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who's to say the rats weren't going to eat this guy anyway? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, mostly I, I liked Bruce Davison's performance. Yeah. Um, and I think the ending is very cool. Um, you know, uh, I guess I don't want to spoil it. Uh, so I won't, uh, I don't know, but a lot of people, <laughs> I guess know how it ends. But, um, although again, I think from what I, when I've read, cause I looked it up, the ending is different in the remake. Slightly. Different. I think I had not that, that yes. different, but slightly different. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, so yeah, it, but it's a movie's just like awkwardly framed. I, I think it needs to be more high contrast given it's sure subject matter. But I also wonder I, if, because I've had my issues with some of the color timing done on the on Shot Factory Blu-rays before mm, on the transfers. I don't know if that's what this is. Because they've also done great. Like I, I talked last week about Streets of Fire, which is a great, great uh, Blu-ray. Um, uh, so I, I don't know if it's... It does seem like, in general, the movie looks kind of sloppy. Uh, but I will say... So I, I talked about... Uh, you know, Carrie, maybe this is a bit of an influence because before the, even the book was written, mm-hmm. um, much less the movie. Um, uh, but the other thing that made me think of was gremlins in oh, that right. he, there are two, like there's Socrates and Ben who yeah. have a very sort of gizmo and stripe type of yeah. dynamic in relationship to Willard. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting, but overall the movie is more of a novelty than anything else. Sure. Um, and then I watched, oh man, this is going to be a tough one to talk about. I watched the new movie. It's coming out, uh, coming out soon. Um, you know what? Uh, give me a second. Can you vamp for a second? All right. So, um, let's see what just, okay. So you got shape of water and then moonlight spotlight <laughs> Birdman, 12 years, a slave Argo. Mm hmm. 
the artist. Okay, yeah, I'm good. Um, all right, so King's Speech next, just to round out the decade. The next movie. Okay, is the artist the most recent comedy to win Best Picture? Then I w- I would say so. Okay. Well, no, I mean Birdman is officially a comedy. Right, and also officially a Best Picture winner, which I kind of forgot. Yes. Um, okay, uh, all right, I can talk about this, but I can't say, I don't want to say much, because this. I watched a documentary called Three Identical Strangers. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm. Um, so here's how the documentary starts. Back in, I guess, 1980, this kid from the New York area goes to college. He shows up first day of college. His name's Bobby, and everyone's, like, being friendly and saying hi and calling him Eddie. He's like, what's going on here? And then he like gets his, his college roommate is like, wait, you look just like this guy, like just like this guy, Eddie, who came, who went here last year and isn't coming back this year. Like, are you adopted? Is your birthday this day? And it, yeah. it turns out, oh my God, they're twins. So like they go that night, he, the, 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 the roommate drives him like, I'm going to take you to Eddie's house. Yeah. They meet that night. It becomes a big story. It's in the papers. This other guy is reading the paper, picks up, sees a picture of two guys that look just like him and were also adopted and have the same birthday. Wow. So it turns out it was triplets. Um, and that's a fascinating story. But then the thing keeps getting stranger because, right, when you, when you hear that initially, you're like, wow, what a crazy coincidence. Yeah. But think a step further back that means an adoption agency intentionally split up siblings and didn't tell the parents like you you have made some uh moves in the adoption yeah. process if you were adopting a boy or a girl in this case a boy sure. who had a twin or two other uh triplets wouldn't you want to know when you adopt yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they would definitely tell uh, tell us like right. that's the that's a big thing they don't like splitting up sibling groups maybe maybe they used to be fine with it but yeah well you'll find out when you watch the movie which i highly recommend um uh it it has it has it's just a a great example of a fascinating story told well you know sometimes documentaries can just get by on a fascinating story yes and this one probably could have but it really doles it out well really lets you get to know uh, these guys and others that this that similar things have happened to end yeah. up getting interviewed, um, and you find out more about the the adoption agency and why this happened this way, and really you end up getting into some. It gets it really gets its hands dirty on the nature versus nurture debate. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, I don't want to. I feel like I'm saying very little about it, but it's because. I don't want people to know too much. Just right. It's definitely worse. In a way it feels like I know too much already. Yeah. Okay. So that's one of my, I love stuff like that. Um, oh man, this link isn't working. Uh, there was a thing, a married couple in China. I posted this on Facebook. Uh They discovered they, they got married. They did not, did not know each other as children, but they were looking through photos and they happened to see, that they were both as kids visiting the same oh my God, landmark so and taking photos at the exact same time. And he is in the background of her photo at the exact moment of uh, the photo being shot. Wow. Okay. Now Tyler, uh, you're not going to believe what I watched next. Okay. I watched 1972's Ben. Oh, okay. The sequel to Willard. Um, and it's almost now, now. Why did you choose to watch this film? Uh, I, re- I reviewed the Blu-rays. There, mm. you can find the reviews at the um, okay. uh, battleshipretention dot com. I don't understand what you're getting at here. <laughs> Just that, uh, of course, if you watch Willard, you're going to watch Ben. That's what oh. choice do you have? You, have, <laughs> I to, see you have to do it. Yes. When it's like, oh, uh, this film features an Oscar-nominated song by Michael Jackson. Well, sung ben. by Michael Jackson. Sung by Michael Jackson. Yes. Who, who wrote it? Uh, you know what? I put it in the review. Uh, yeah. I don't remember. Um, BattleshipRetention.com. Anyway, uh, f- uh, two things. Ben makes Willard seem like a masterpiece. Okay. <laughs> and also, it's almost worth watching Willard to have an excuse to watch Ben because it, it is pretty hilariously bad, <laughs> I right. have to say. Which is not something, like, I, I, I think about this a lot. Like, uh, when it comes to something like Teen Witch, you know, like... I enjoy watching Teen Witch. Watching Teen Witch gives me a lot of joy. Yes. 
so does that like it feels unfair to say Teen Witch is a so bad it's good movie because I really do love it. I think you can say it's so bad it's fun. Maybe. Because it's, but, but I'm not making fun of it, I guess is the thing. Yeah, but you're also not enjoying it the way it was intended to be enjoyed. I guess that's, yeah, that's that's true. But we've also said, like, once a movie is released, it becomes the audience's to sure. interpret. So I go back and forth on whether or not it's okay to say a movie is so bad that it's good. But you're not interpreting it. You're responding to it. You're not saying, I think the director was trying to do I see, this. I see, yeah. You know. That's a good point. Anyway, with Ben... Don't get me wrong. It's the only way that film has any value at all. <laughs> but, yes. Um, but uh, Ben is just so, so chock full of the dumbest... Uh, like, in, some, uh, uh, in comparison to Willard, it's a much more conventional, like, sort of monster movie. Like, it's okay. Ben, the bad rat, leaving, leading a horde of rats and killing a bunch of people around town. Right. And meanwhile, being friends with the... It literally starts, like, the the opening titles run over the last five minutes of Willard. Okay. And then it picks up outside. Like it literally picks up right where Willard leaves off. Like Halloween two. Yeah. Very much like that. And so Ben just like moves to a new house and becomes friends with this little kid. Um, and so they're like, you know, in the daytime, this kid and Ben are becoming friends. In the nighttime, Ben is murdering townspeople <laughs> with his horde of rat followers. Um, and so, in some ways, that's more conventional. And some of the stuff is really, oh my god! There's the the stuff, and every every time there's a murder, there's the detective and the cigar chomping weary reporter who show up together and banter. Oh boy, <laughs> it's like. Um, uh, uh, the, at one point the, the, the reporter shows up with his cigar between his teeth and he says, so what do you got? And the detective says, I wish to God I knew and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's another part where there's like the rats have eaten this like tr- truck driver and they're like putting the body on a gurney and all the like, n- like there's like gawkers, like people standing there like, you know, with a look on their face and he's like, and the detective's like, you ever seen people look like that before? And the, and the reporter's like, once in Pennsylvania, they were pulling bodies out of a mine. <laughs> <laughs> a, have you ever seen people look like that in yeah, response? In response, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It is weird. But then, and then there's another, there's like a murder at like a grocery store. And then like the detective and the reporter are chatting again. And then like they turn around and they see all the people with the same look on their faces they had before and then yeah. you just like share a look um do you think hook- uh, i think those two are hooking up <laughs> <laughs> yeah um uh and then uh yeah uh, um but then so that that's the very conventional stuff and and that's that kind of so bad it's good stuff but then there's also the character the kid uh danny i think is his name is so weird such a weird creation he is a uh loner kid i mean he's got a sister but he's not a popular kid he has a there's a shed up back of the house where he has a collection of marionettes that he's built (gasps) for himself and a stage that he's built and he makes up songs and dances and puts on little shows for no one and then eventually for ben and then he makes a ben marionette (laughs) and then he so the song, um, <laughs> the song Ben's song, which okay. was nominated for an Oscar, yeah. which was written for the movie, w- within the movie is a song that this, like, nine-year-old boy writes for Ben hours after having met him. And the kid, like, I, I don't want to be mean. Now, here's the thing. I believe that that kid would do that. <laughs> yeah. But, um... The kid, I don't really mean the kid is a terrible actor. And so the scene of him writing the song is literally just him sitting in front of the piano like, hmm. And then just sort of like cautiously like, basically he recites every lyric to the song yeah. as if he's thinking of it all just yeah. then. But it's not, it, it's, it's so bad. And then wow. his oldest sister is played by, played by Meredith Baxter. Hey. <laughs> Which is nice. Um, uh, yeah, so Ben is uh, not good, but... Um, I guess I kind of had fun watching enjoyably it. not good. It sounds yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. So I yeah, that, that, uh, that detective reporter pair they're uh, they're a treat. There is, and they're in the movie so much too. 
<laughs> so I don't like to necessarily talk about like MST3K. Like I don't want to talk about the movies they're watching because you know that's not why you're watching it. Mm-hmm. But there, there was a movie called Zombie Nightmare, starring among others Adam West as like this huh. cynical detective. And the coroner, like it is, you know, it's a horror movie, so everything's going to be a little bit heightened. But the the coroner is this guy. I don't remember if he has a cigar, but he might as well. And he's got like a trench coat and all that. And clearly, he's meant to be, I guess, some kind of comic relief, but also a certain type of cop. You know, uh-huh. cynical, always got a thing. And the actor makes a choice. That is, I mean, it's one of those rare instances where the, the guys on MST, they're just laughing. <laughs> they just start laughing. <laughs> um, and basically the guy's like, so Frank, what do you think? Is like, he's talking like that, uh-huh. like a, as though he's a real person that you could meet in life. <laughs> and it's, it's astonishing to me. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a, a sucker for those types of relationships and those types of characters. Yeah. Just the... You know, yeah, you gotta keep, you gotta laugh to keep from crying. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> All right, what did you watch? Okay. this week. All right, I don't know why I had to ask like that. Um, so I watched Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. Uh-huh. All right, it's not bad. Okay, it's got some good stuff in there. You know, it's in, in the same way that uh, when I went to see Iller, uh, Interstellar. I was reluctant to see it. And then within 10, 15 minutes, and I don't necessarily love that movie either, but within 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, oh yes, now I remember Christopher Nolan is a very capable filmmaker and a pretty good, uh, storyteller. Um, and along those lines, I mean, going into ready player one, I was like, this is beneath him. Steven Spielberg. That's what it felt like. Um, did you see it? No, no, I'm saying okay. you're saying going yeah, into it. Like that's, that's yeah. I was like, why is he doing this? Yeah. Like Tintin, I get because he grew up on it and loves it and stuff like that. But like of his caliber, like, why is he doing this? Because I don't think this is just a for hire thing. You don't do that with Steven Spielberg. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The days of him directing Columbo episodes. Exactly. Are gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so but then did you know, by the way, sorry. Um, Stephen Boschko died this week. Yes, yes. Um, and he uh, wrote the first ever episode of Columbo, which Steven Spielberg directed. I did not know that. Yes. Oh. Um, but Steven, Stephen Boschko also, he did a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so rest in peace, Stephen Boschko. Absolutely. I rewatched him uh, yelling at Chevy Chase on Politically Incorrect. I don't know if you ever, someone posted that. Because <laughs> Chevy Chase like had the gall to say that like TV is a, worthless medium to Steven Bochco, one of the like greatest TV producers yeah. ever. And it, there's a whole lot to the back and forth. But at one point, uh, Steven Bochco says what we're all thinking to Chevy chase. He says, well, I've watched a bunch of your movies and most of them were crap. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a point. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, rest in peace, Steven Bochco. I didn't, I, I yes. wanted to remember to say that. Indeed. Um, so then, okay. But then, I watch the movie and there are sequences in there that it's like, okay, the, an expert did this Mm -hmm. and somebody who is invested in elements of this story. Uh, there are, I've not read the book, but I was talking with somebody who has, and he told me like a number of the differences. And he said that, and a lot of people seem to believe, seem to agree that that is better than the book. Hmm. Um, I remember, uh, Josh long, he read the book and I said, what do you think of it? And he goes, it'll make a better movie, Hmm. you know? And I think this was back before it was going to be made into a movie or maybe it had just been announced. Um, and, uh, and there, there is a sequence right in the middle and I won't spoil it in case listeners haven't seen it in case you haven't seen it because the whole film is re- is references, of course, mm-hmm. but then, but they're only ever that. It's just oh, he drives. Uh, the main character drives the DeLorean. Yeah, all right. Uh-huh. Who, who gives a shit? You know. And then like oh, there's a there's a T Rex in Jurassic Park, and there's a King Kong. Yeah, all right. Oh, so there is more another Steven Spielberg reference. There, yeah, there's that. Entertainment Weekly maybe was trying to keep that under wraps. The the T Rex. Really? 
Because they, they only mentioned the DeLorean and, a, like, a stray gremlin. Oh, um, I think, I don't think I saw the gremlin, but um, there's a couple fun, you know, of course it's all fun. It's fun to mm-hmm. be like, hey, I know what that is, but that's usually all it is. There is a sequence, an entire sequence in yeah. the middle of the film where, okay, now we're actually engaging with this thing and we're a part of it and it is directed lovingly and wink, but with a a delightful wink and it is, uh, and I almost, and in watching, I'm like, okay, he started with this and built outward. Mm -hmm. Like there's no question in my mind. Um, and listeners, if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. I think I know too. Okay. You probably, because I haven't really avoided spoilers. Okay. All right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want to say. And so, but the thing is this, you know, and the acting is, you know, fine, whatever, who cares? Um, like it's, it, it takes something for me to feel like Ben Mendelsohn is a boring villain and he's a fairly boring villain. Hmm. Um, but here's the thing that gets me about ready player one. And I, and I, having not read the book, are we good? Yeah, you're okay. just like doing so, a weird thing. I was, all, I was all tangled up in the. Oh, book. I see. Um, so uh, I haven't read the book, uh-huh. and um, but I've listened to a lot of people's opinions about the book. Yeah, we're fine. Okay, sorry. You keep I'm doing my job. Look, I'm okay. the I'm host slash engineer. That's true. I'm just doing my job as an engineer. Just keep my eye on all the. Knobs and the little readout here. I got a little ticker tape. <laughs> readout tells me how we're doing, and also how my uh, what's up with soybean futures. Um, soybean futures not looking good right now. Oh, actually, why is that? Uh, because of our idiot president. Oh, all right. Because he. Oh yes, of course. Because he made up some dumb tariffs, and China was like, yeah. "Well, we're going to make up some dumb tariffs too." And now, uh, American farmers who make soybeans are uh, uh, going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. I, what an idiot. Trade wars go well, right? Sure. Historically. Yeah. I, anyway. I don't know much. About yeah, them. I wish I knew more. But um, yeah. okay, I, know, so, I know about storage wars. It's the same. Okay. Um, this is like they're bigger. <laughs> okay. Um, so the thing is, okay. The Iron Giant is in Ready Player One. All right. Not the actual character, like somebody has... I mean, none of the actual characters are there. Uh-huh. It's all like avatars and stuff like that. So somebody essentially... Wait, are there his, any Navi? You'd think so, but no. <laughs> okay. Because no one would ever want to be that. Um, <laughs> but, uh... So a character within this has, like, it has like built uh, an Iron Giant... Uh, <laughs> uh, avatar. And... does it probably out of affection and then at the end of the at the end of the film there's like a big battle and then this person uh you know whatever you want to say dresses up now just becomes the iron giant and it's just like beating you know beating the bad guys to hell and all that and i was just like well okay the whole fucking point <laughs> that was exactly of the what Iron I just Giant yeah. is that it won't fight. Yeah. And so the fact that either that, that the character, and I would then say also the writers, that they see that and they're like, oh, I love the design of the Iron Giant and I love that movie. To which I say, do you? Yeah. I don't think you do. That's really, really and upsetting. Like that's, but that's an example. Like there are these little moments here and there, and there are these elements where it's just like, you don't actually want to engage with this. Like you're using phrases like pop culture. Okay. That's fine. But what is making up the pop culture you're talking about is art. Mm-hmm. And you don't seem that invested in engaging with this art. You seem to want to, consume it and then it's a part of you of course but not a part that really seems to have had much impact you know and i recognize that and i feel a little bit elitist saying this like i don't not everybody should want to watch movies the way i do but this is a thing that ostensibly has tremendous affection for these things but i don't buy it Mm -hmm. it has not sold me on that 
Because if you had, if you loved the Iron Giant enough to build one, you would never want to use it for that purpose. Right. Yeah. That, that, that makes me, that does make me a little mad. Yeah. I feel protective of the iron giant. Right. And, and, but there are other, there are other examples of this and it's just, um, it is, it is a shame. There, there are elements that I do enjoy about the film. And I think visually he makes, you know, the, uh, Spielberg makes the Oasis very, uh, at times beautiful and very, uh, chaotic and all that but for the most part and the other thing that i'll say is the so the music i thought was really subpar and just completely generic and then i saw that it wasn't john williams it was alan Silvestri. and i was like oh okay and i thought wait a minute alan Silvestri's is good too <laughs> so like it just seems like everybody with a cup with a couple of exceptions for spielberg himself it just feels like everybody everything about it is just operating at a lower level it's hmm. just it feels so much it just feels a little it just feels mediocre I did enjoy parts of it but I should have enjoyed it way more all right uh, I'll let you know what I think when I see it someday yeah um, all right next up for me uh, and out this week is uh, Lynn Ramsey's you were never really here I was really looking forward to this movie I'd heard good things I like Lynn Ramsey and it had me for about an hour in some way um do you know what the story of the movie is? I don't. So, uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays a guy named Joe who works as sort of a hired heavy for a private investigator played by John Doman. Oh, all right. Um, and basically John Doman has been hired by a, uh, prominent like state politician because the politician's daughter was kidnapped by a pedophile ring, like sex trafficking ring. So John Doman has figured out where, they're keeping this girl and other girls they've kidnapped and he's so he pays Joaquin Phoenix to yeah. basically just go into the house to do do whatever he needs to do to get this girl out including what he does which is like bash a bunch of people's heads in yeah <laughs> um uh but then from there it ends up not being as easy a job or as straightforward a job as it at first seemed and he gets in deeper and ends up having to hit more people with hammers um and it's it's the uh, it's the kind of movie i'm like the 10 millionth person to point this out based on the plot alone this could be like a nicholas cage directed direct right. video like thriller it has that plot and i think lynn rams is kind of doing that on purpose and then telling the story in a way um that is very aesthetically and formally different um, I usually love that. Yeah, and 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 I and I was really into it for about an hour or so, and it wasn't that anything necessarily changed. It just you kind of expect it to lead to something, and instead the movie just kind of peters out. I felt, mm-hmm. um, and it couldn't sustain. Even though it's only ninety minutes long, it couldn't sustain um, the sort of constant heavy glowering brooding portent you know um but i was really i'm really into a lot of the choices she makes uh and a lot of the choices that joaquin phoenix makes it's very a very internalized performance he barely uh he doesn't speak much in the movie and when he does uh fairly early on he gets um pretty seriously wounded in the face and spends the next he basically spends the last hour of the movie with his jaw like clenched shut so even hmm. when he does talk he you can he's like just grunting things out that you can barely yeah. hear and so i like that i like how it's a beyond taciturn performance it's almost like yeah. a parody of the strong silent type yeah uh, in a way um but he's also playing the, and there's a little bit of chinatown in there as well the oh, idea right. that yeah. like nicholson it's something that always fascinates me about chinatown is that like our star uh-huh. spends a good portion of the film with like half his face covered up. Right. And, uh, Tom Cruise and Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. The mask. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, and there's things going on. I think with, um, the movie I think is very much about, uh, PTSD in a lot of ways. Um, and the way that someone can or can't function with that. I think we're, we get some, I don't want to give too much away. We get some hints about his history. And then of course also this, this girl mm-hmm. uh, understandably has a bit of PTSD yeah. type symptoms uh, herself. And so I, I think there's some ways that the, the presentation of the movie kind of with the way that it layers visuals and audio uh, is sort of, I think is trying to emulate this sort of protective layers that someone has to keep over themselves, you know, sort of distancing themselves from the world. 
I really, and it, so th- this sounds like a positive review and I really liked it. But then the last half hour or so, I was like, this is what we were leading up to. This is just like, it, it, it ends so cynically hmm. that I think, uh, I think the meanest thing that I can say about this movie, that's true is I would have loved it when I was a teenager. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Isn't it fun that that's like the worst insult? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and, and I really felt like you know you had so much going, and then it ends with just this uh, this the cynicism. There's no, there's no other word I can think for think of it except that it's also shallow, which is I think cynicism is generally shallow. Yeah. Um. Uh. And it ends. I feel like the movie ends up doing what the character is doing, which is kind of a cop out, which is just finding a way not to deal with issues. Mm by just saying, Oh, everything's fucked up. Yeah. You know, I, it, it really, it, it really bummed me out, but it is, I mean, Lynn, Lynn Ramsey is a distinct cinematic voice. You know, there's, uh, there's not another movie quite like this, even though the plot is very similar to a ton of movies. Um, it, it, it's, so I can't entirely say, don't go see it. I can just say I was really let down by it. Do you think we are going to see more movies like this over the next few years? Um, the idea, like films that essentially throw up their hands and say, Oh, I see. I don't even know anymore. Like what's the point of anything, you know, given the, the political climate and the likely, uh, political leanings of the filmmakers. And I don't mean to say in a propaganda way, but like I, I, I genuinely feel like more movies will take on this tone, uh, of people just <laughs> flabbergasted and eventually, exhausted by the the situation i don't know and maybe maybe if things keep going the way they're going but i think we're going to see more stuff like the post i think yeah i think we're going to see more rallying and the thing is donald trump is awful and he keeps trying to do a lot of awful shit and making steps toward doing awful shit Mm -hmm. i think there's some of the ways that ice uh has behaved um has been downright un-american um but also he, a lot of the stuff he tries to do keeps getting stopped. Yeah. Um, and I, and so I think even people like me who are, you know, couldn't be more opposed to Donald Trump. We see a little bit of hope every day. Sure. Um, you know, we see, uh, we, we see in some ways the system working. I think it could work better. Um, I think there are, um, I, I think there are things we could do to ensure more checks and balances between the branches of government. Um, or at least ensure that the ones that should be there uh, are already being enforced. Um, but uh, I, I don't think that we have, I think we're still angry, but I also think we're still hopeful. I don't think we've gotten to a point where I'm ready to throw up my hands yet. Okay. Is there a, what is the check and balance on the Supreme court? Like if um, they rule one way or another, like I feel like, yeah, but I guess the check and balance land, for right? them is how difficult it is to get to them. Do you know what I mean? I get, yeah, I guess so that they don't, the, the Supreme court basically is, um, it is reactive. The Supreme court, the yeah. Supreme, the justices can't say, mm, I think this should change. Right. And you know, they can't be, I know the term activist judges has been thrown around by both uh, sides uh, of the political spectrum, but I don't think they can be truly activists because right. they have to wait yeah, until something re- comes from them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> they're just sitting there rubbing their hands together. Here <laughs> yeah. we go. Yeah. So I think that's the, okay. That's yeah. That makes is. sense. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. And then, uh, last thing I watched, oh, I, I do have, don't I have one more? I have one more, and then yeah. you have one more. Yeah, but I thought I was going to do two, and then you were going to... Because I did three, and you did one, and then I do two, and then you do one, right? Oh, so I'm ending. Okay, sorry, yes. Well, until we get into mood. To sorry, TV, everybody. And then you'll, you're starting yeah. uh, TV. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is like a comedy bit that we do this yeah. every week. We forget like how, how we're dividing these up. Okay, one more Listen for me. Listen to two film students. Uh, do math. Yeah. Uh, final movie for me. I watched uh, Lawrence Olivier's 1970 feature, his final theatrical feature. I guess he made another TV movie after that as a director. Um, Three Sisters, okay. the Anton Chekhov uh, oh, okay. play. Um, and he has a supporting role in it. Um, 
but the sisters themselves are um well i don't remember uh all of the actresses names it's uh let's see oh here it is uh gene watts louise purnell and most importantly joan plowright oh, all right now when i think of joan plowright now i think of uh, Walter Matthau's wife from the Dennis right. the Menace the movie because that's what I watched growing up. Yeah. Um, and so I wasn't prepared for how awesome Joan Plowright is, mm-hmm. you know, what, 25 years before that uh, in this movie as the, uh, I, I think she's the middle sister uh, of, of the three. Um, and she's the one who's, I think, whereas the older sister is uh, kind of, um, they're all nice women. These three mm-hmm. sisters who live together. Um, the the older one is a, a, a school teacher um, and is kind of a, a very sweet person, but a very like traditional type of person. The younger sister is not yet married and is looking forward to her life. And uh, it's, Maria, a che- it's a Chekhov play. Yeah. Is what you're saying, <laughs> Maria or Masha, the middle sister, is married and also in love with at least one other person, and is kind of just like um, the most. I guess free in her behavior. Hmm. She's the most likely to just be herself. Okay. Um, and, uh, that, uh, it seems like the kind of character you could probably play this character as somewhat, uh, not villainous, but, uh, you know, uh, you could, you could, you could highlight the more derogatory, um, interpretations. Yeah. Uh, but Joan Plowright plays her so full of life and so delighted. She's the best part of, of this movie. Uh, the story, I mean, it's a checkoff play. So it's basically just about people talking about the past and the future and, yeah. uh, the things that they aren't doing that they'd rather be doing. Yeah. Um, not thrilled. <laughs> yeah. How so things have gone. the main thing, uh, that I, uh, that I, that I take away from it is that, it's this the three sisters and they also have a brother played by Derek Jacoby. Um, mm-hmm. and they born in, they were born and grew up in Moscow and they moved out to the country to their family's estate and kind of the sick joke or, or, or whatever of the movie is that it takes place over many years and they're constantly talking about moving back, moving back to Moscow mm-hmm. and they never do. And so I really related to this feeling of like, basically I just preferring the city to the country. Um, Derek Jacoby has a little mini monologue that sums up. And I know this isn't how everyone feels, but sums up exactly how I feel about the city versus the country where he talks about, he says, when I'm in Moscow, I'm in a restaurant. I don't know anyone and they don't know me, but I don't feel alone. Whereas here I know everyone and everyone knows me, but I feel like a stranger. Hmm. Uh, And that's so how I feel about not when I'm not, in a city, like a city is just seems so natural to me, uh, that I really, um, uh, I, I really responded to that, to that part of it overall. I think the movie, I mean, it's like, it's close to three hours. It's like two hours and 45 minutes or something like that. And it's very stagely staged. I think sometimes effectively. Um, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't do much that you couldn't do. um, just on the stage. I mean, the, the camera, uh, the cinematography is by, uh, I'm forgetting his name now. Um, but the guy who shot like 2001, like, um, oh, okay. uh, he does some good stuff. Yeah. I can't find it right now. Um, and, uh, and so the, there, there's, it looks good ish. I don't think the transfer is great. And the sound is really, that that's the worst part actually is that the mm. sound, like I was, I had to crank my stereo or crank my sound bar up to hear it. And even then it was still often kind of hissy and soft and muddled, uh, unfortunately. Um, uh, I forgot where I, where I was going with that, but basically, you know, the movie ta- the, or the, the, the stage play takes place. It's four acts in three different locations around the same house and the movie generally doesn't break from that except for that there's one sort of like flash forward to a duel that uh, i guess Mm. uh the stage version has the duel take place in completely off stage from what i've read i've never read the script or actually skimmed through some of it today to see what was changed or whatever um and so we actually do get a sort of silent glimpse of the duel that's coming Hmm. um and then there's like another part when they're outside and the 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 fourth act takes place outside and they uh someone looks up at the sky and he's talking about the birds and there's clearly a stock footage shot of birds (laughs) cut in uh that i was like lawrence did you need that (laughs) um don't you have money (laughs) or also just like if this were on the stage yeah we wouldn't need to see the birds that's true i I believe that joan plowright 
is impressed by this flock of birds. Yeah. I didn't need to see the, 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 the fifth generation copy of stock footage, uh, that you, that you put up there. Um, yeah. So three sisters, uh, if you like check off, if you like Lawrence Olivier, Olivier, the, the other, the rest of the cast, you've got, um, um, Alan Bates, oh. uh, as, um, Joan Plowright's, uh, um, cuckolded husband. Um, you've got, um, uh, Ronald Pickup, who was just recently played Neville Chamberlain in Darkest Hour. Yes. Okay. He plays one of the potential suitors, um, for the youngest sister, Irina, played by Louise Purnell. Um, and then you've got this guy in the movie that I like immediately went to look up. Cause I was like, this guy's so good. And he doesn't like his IMDb page doesn't even have a picture. He's got like, mm. he's probably a big stage guy. I, he must've been, his name was Frank Wiley. And he did like very little except for these sort of things. Yeah. He must've been a stage guy because he did these sort of things. Um, uh, he's in like a Macbeth, like basically stuff that was clearly like a filmed stage thing is yeah. most of his IMDb credits. Uh, and he's terrific. He plays the other suitor for arena. Um, the one who gets, he's one of the people who ends up dueling uh, at the end and he's, uh, a just bitter cynic. Uh, and he can be very, very mean. Mm-hmm. And then the only soft spot in his life is when he's around arena. And it, uh, it's a great performance. I, I was, I was like shocked. <laughs> I was, uh, that, that he didn't go on to, great yeah. stardom but yeah like you said he probably had a great stage career yeah um uh, and I, I, yeah, I hope he did all right uh that's it for me for movies you watch another movie now real quick i should say that when i hear joan plowright i think of a line in the critic where they have rex reed say joan plowright and how right <laughs> <laughs> um okay so yeah i watched a recent um uh, not really. It's very new. Uh, it's a new Blu-ray release of George Melies' A Trip to the Moon. Um, oh, okay. <clears throat> they've been working on a new restored transfer for like 20 years, mm-hmm. which means like, and there are just various prints and they, and so like they, so they're, they, they had really good prints that were missing some frames. So they would have to bring in prints from, uh, bring in those frames from much worse prints and try to clean those up as best they can. And then they also went in to try to restore the initial colors that uh, Melier did because they did right. a, a hand painted yeah. thing. Um, and so it's it's presented by uh, damn now I don't remember the name of the company. Um, Flickr Alley. Flickr Alley. Thank you. Um, so it's presented and there's a, a nice little documentary there about George Melier that I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and the film is presented with three different musical scores, uh, each one a very different tone. Uh, one is kind of this synthy kind of mm. odd thing. Uh, and the other is, I'm not sure if I'd say jazzy, but maybe loungy. Okay. If that. And then there's one that's just more of an old fashioned piano score that apparently was improvised on the spot as a guy was watching it for the first oh, like time, that. which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, as far as the film itself, of course, you know, I've seen it many times at this point, as I'm sure you have, uh, mm-hmm. The thing that gets me, aside from the first shot, which is just, you know, it's all of the scientists or whatever just in a room talking to each other and deciding to go to the moon, and it goes on for like three minutes, you know. And back then they didn't do cross-cutting. And so even now, even though I've seen the film many times, I watch and I just keep expecting to cut to something else within <laughs> the scene. Then you're like, oh, no, I'm basically watching a stage production. Right. Um, but putting that aside... It is like, it is the joy of filmmaking. You can see it on the screen. You can see how much fun Melier is having and how much fun his actors are having. And just, you know, that's the thing is he started on stage and he would do these fun little magic shows and stuff. Um, and I think with film, he realized I can do so much more magic with, with through editing. And there are some really nice edits that are pretty seamless. Um, but also along with that, it's just, it's such a charming story 
that, of course, nobody, even at the time, nobody thought that you could get to the moon by basically putting people in a giant bullet and shooting them <laughs> at the moon. And then you can't get from the moon to the earth by pushing that bullet off a moon cliff and you just fall into the, into a, an earth ocean. Uh-huh. Okay. But it's, it's all so delightful and whimsical in a way that I just, just adored. And I've seen, of course I've seen the film, like I said, several times, but every time I watch it, you just see someone who has who's discovered something new and is excited about it. But of course, everyone was discovering something new. Uh, this film was made not long after, like the Lumiere brothers first mm-hmm. projected something, and it just you know, if you're a film fan, I think it's it's an important film. For a few reasons, you won't see. You'll see some editing techniques, but you're not going to see a lot of that. You're not going to see really any cinematography to speak of. Um, but you'll see an energy, which is, and I don't usually speak in those terms, but like you'll see an energy on screen that you will every once in a while find in those in those older films where just a filmmaker just is discovering something completely new and undoubtedly it was kept, you know, there's a reason this, it was the first film to like catch on internationally. And I think because it really captures the, uh, the imagination, but it it was uh, a delight of course. All right. Uh, George, any TV? I did David. Thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) so, okay. I've been watching a lot of, uh, I guess I haven't been watching, TV per se. I've been watching a lot of sketches, uh, SNL sketches okay. uh, online. And what? I forgot. I, re- I watched an SNL sketch. They reran the Saoirse Ronan okay. uh, episode, which I had watched, but I must have fallen asleep. Did you, did you watch this one? Uh, not the entire one. I don't, which, uh, the, which the 10 to one sketch, which was <laughs> the, their, um, flight attendants on an Irish, uh, airline. Oh, I haven't. No, I haven't. Oh my God. It's so funny. It's so there's just the premise is they're being delayed because there's a dog on the runway and they're, and they're like, uh, I can't really do the Irish accent. They're like, uh, we're going to let him choose his own way. We're not going to move. <laughs> like uh, I'm doing Scott. I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. Um, uh, it's, it's his decision. Yeah. <laughs> so they're just waiting for the dog, <laughs> but then there keep being more dogs all over the, like people keep finding dogs on the plane. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, those are kind and, of the best ones. And then like Kate McKinnon comes in as the, the controller, which I'm saying, I don't know the name of the, they clearly yeah. don't know the name either. Cause they keep saying, Oh, here's the lady with the orange sticks. <laughs> uh, again, I can't do, that's, I, a, that's Sc- not a bad Irish. That's, 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 that's kind of Scottish. That's, um, that's not a bad Irish. Uh, but she, but she comes in with the dog and she was like, it was the captain's dog. I could tell from his soul and also from the tag on his collar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so that was the SNL sketch that I watched that I loved. Yeah. Um, what I've been watching a lot of, is Pete Davidson? Oh yeah, uh, doing commentary on Weekend Update, often about him. And one thing, and I, you know, I had already known certain things. I knew that his father died in nine yeah. eleven and all that. Um, he's very, very open about himself. Like he has borderline personality disorder, and uh, he deals with depression, and he. You know, there's there's one where he's talking about something and his hand is like wrapped up. Uh huh. And Colin Jost is like, what happened after the bit is over? He's like, what happened to your hand? He's like, I punched a door. <laughs> and so it's like that's like real world <laughs> shit coming in. Yeah. Um, but it really is. Uh, <laughs> it really is delightful. And he has a wonderful bit about uh, being from Staten Island. Because he and Colin Jost are apparently both from there, and there is like a little newspaper, a little magazine in Staten Island, and they treat the two of them so differently. Oh, I think I either saw this or like you mentioned it to me or something. Yeah, because uh, because Pete Davidson can't stop making fun of Staten Island, uh-huh. uh, and but they love Colin Jost, and so it really is marvelous. I do between him and somebody like a Chris Gethard. Um, I feel like, and I guess somebody like Maria Bamford as well, the idea of bringing mental and emotional issues into your comedy yeah. and making it funny and yeah, maybe making people a little bit uncomfortable as well. 
you know like he has a bit where he's talking about kevin love the basketball player and by the way i'll say the premise of what i'm about to say i don't necessarily agree with okay all right but kevin love the basketball player like wrote uh, an article about how he'd had a panic attack on the court uh-huh. um and everyone was talking about like how brave it is for him to say that and then pete davidson is like eh. and he basically says like Look, I'm glad that you're that you're being open about it, but uh, why don't you just leave it to the pros? All right. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, uh, you know, I was in therapy. I've been in therapy since I was six. I wanted to kill myself when I was eight. But hey, sorry about your free throw percentage, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then yeah. he and then he says, like, he goes, uh, when I was a kid, I went camping with my uncle and uh, there and it was like a lightning storm. And I got so scared that I crapped my pants. And when I told my uncle about it, he punched me in the face. And then uh, my mom said that I shouldn't tell it to my dad because then he'd kill my uncle. But my dad died a, uh, like a month later. But hey, sorry about, you know, whatever it is. And so the thing is, what I don't agree with is just the idea of like, don't I have it. I have it worse. Right. So yours doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't I don't agree with that premise. I would agree. But. I do like that, like, that's some in-depth stuff, and undoubtedly, like, the audience is probably a little bit uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable listening to it, but I loved it. I do, I like when people are that honest uh, on stage, and, I've, and I forgot, like, in that moment, even though it wasn't officially stand-up, in that moment, I was like, ah, oh, I kind of miss going to stand-up shows, because every once yeah. in a while, especially when we went to see you next Tuesday and people were trying new stuff, yeah, like, that's when we saw some some great stuff but yeah. anyway um and then i have you have one, one more thing and then you've and then we've shared and then we are okay uh i also um realize that i have access to hulu now <laughs> shifty eyes um <laughs> and uh and i was in the mood for something that i'd watched a million times before so i threw on uh, community uh specifically the last season which i hadn't seen very much of and uh the one that was made for hulu no that was made for yahoo screen jesus yeah i know <laughs> you don't it doesn't exist anymore yeah, I know. um but then hulu you know brought it okay. brought it over which is nice of them um and in the sixth season you know a lot of the old cast members have gone like chevy chase is gone by then donald glover um I forget, I forget the name of the actress. I feel bad, but, uh, she plays, uh, Shirley. Um, but they do add a couple of cast members, Paget Brewster. Oh, cool. And Keith David. Oh, and they are both, you know, they're introduced with like in the first and second episode. And w- it is a ston- First off, I think the writing's pretty good, mm-hmm. but like, I'll say this. If you have, a cardboard character and you're like, I don't really know how to flesh this character out. Just cast Keith David. He'll do it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like what he's able to do with this character who is, it's not that it's a broad character. He's very specific, but Keith David being funny, he has a timing, the likes of which I've never seen. Um, there comes a moment where he's, he's just, you know, this crotchety old man who is like a computer designer and all the uh, software designer and stuff. Um, and he can get excitable about things. And, and at one point he mentions TV, uh, like at watching a TV show and Paget Brewster says, oh, I don't own a TV. And then it cuts to him a close up, and the way his face, they just leave it on him. And the way his face just turns to complete contempt <laughs> for her <laughs> is hilarious. And then there's a, a, a scene, there's a, an episode where like, all the characters, their, their emails get hacked and exposed and everybody and everyone has read everyone's uh, everyone else's emails. And there comes a moment when he's talking about Joel McHale. He goes, he's like, this guy writes to astronauts. <laughs> and then and Joel McHale goes, they're national heroes. And he goes, yes, they are. Leave them alone. <laughs> and it's just, and it's hilarious. Uh, and then, but then Paget Brewster also in just this, yeah, in just this very has this moment that I laugh out loud. Where there's an episode where it has been revealed that the that the school may have given a degree to a dog um, named Ruffles, and so they need to look into it. And so she and uh, Annie, um, oh damn, what is her name? 
from Allison uh, Brie. Allison Brie, thank you. Um, they're like going through like these files, and uh, and finally, uh, Padgett Brewster finds like, here we go, Ruffles, and then. <laughs> Alice Murray goes, do you think that's our guy? And then there's a nice pause and she goes, I do. <laughs> it's like, they're, they're such great additions to the cast. It is a shame that it was, that it was the last season yeah, because the bad. cast as it was like could have gone forward. Like they just, then they instant, they seem to instantly know how to write those characters. And it was a, it was a good season. It went out on a good note. That, uh, that astronaut thing is so funny. It's, and, and I like, love Keith David. He does a voice on Adventure Time too. Th- yeah, uh, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I was, you know, I was thinking about what you were saying about like uh, just cast Keith David. Yeah, because it reminded me of something. I, was, I keep thinking about for some reason that, that stupid awful Death Wish remake. Okay, and the thing I keep coming back to is how bad I feel for Vincent D'Onofrio, who is doing what Vincent D'Onofrio does, which yeah. is showing up. Yeah. And he's again up. He's doing scenes with Bruce Willis, who is beyond phoning it in. Yes. Um, and it's just like Vincent D'Onofrio was another one of those guys. It doesn't always work for me in some of his choices, but like. But he's making them. If you cast Vincent D'Onofrio, Vincent D'Onofrio will show up in your movie. Uh, did you see the speaking of remakes with Vincent D'Onofrio? Did you see the Magnificent Seven remake? I did. I love his choices he's great. in that. He's great. And his his uh, spoilers, everyone. His death scene, I think, is really effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you haven't watched any daredevil, right? Uh, Oh no. Yeah. I forgot. His kingpin is yeah. my favorite Marvel villain. I it's, it's yeah. marvelous. Yeah. Oh. So basically what I'm saying is what we're saying is Vincent D'Onofrio and Keith David hashtag true detective season three. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That'd be right. the best. All right. So the show we both watched, we both caught up on Silicon Valley. There've mm-hmm. been two episodes of the new season. Yes. Uh, the new, uh, TJ Millerless season. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm really into it. I'm especially really into Jin Yang. Yes. Now, I have a, I think I, I, I feel weird saying this as a not minority, mm-hmm. but sometimes when it comes to characters like Jin Yang on Silicon Valley or Hong Chao's character and downsizing, I feel like when people say that those are that there's like xenophobia or racism in the characters, I feel like it says more about the person who is saying that because just having a thick accent isn't right. neither downsizing and not the downsizing is a movie that overall I want to defend, right. but neither downsizing nor Silicon Valley is making fun of the characters for having accents. Yeah. It's That's not just like, who they are. People have accents. It doesn't seem yeah. like, you know, like in the second episode when Guilfoyle is explicitly racist, yeah. the show does not like d- doesn't make that funny. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's it's and, not and as Guilfoyle though gets his come up or all of them. Yes. Get, get comeuppance for it. Yeah. It's not as though like Jin Yang, his character is it's hard to know what his level of intelligence is. He's a bit inscrutable and maybe that, you know, and that that is sometimes seen as a stereotype okay um i learned that on community oddly enough where ken jung is talking about is constantly accusing other people of being racist against him he goes in which he 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 does this motion as though he's got like a fu manchu (laughs) mustache and goes oh such an inscrutable you know um but uh so there could be that but at the same time it's not like jin yang is like quoting confucius or or like no he's not wearing like a rice paddy hat or anything yeah no he just has a thick accent and and he has plenty of characteristics that are not look at this chinese guy they're jin yang and jin yang's specific like sociopathy yes. <laughs> sometimes or or his just not giving a fuck about anyone except for i guess the people the friends he has <laughs> move into the house <laughs> and just I'm, I'm kicking your cousin out of the bed this is my cousin yeah and i like how easily he's like he goes so my corrupt uncle told me this and just like says it so casually and but, i do like that Yes, T.J. Miller is gone, and I know that we don't like him, but I did like a lot of what Ehrlich did, or how he was used from time to time. But I do like that his being gone doesn't mean he never existed. Like, Ehrlich is still around... And still, his stuff still needs to be dealt with. And the Aviato car is always going to be there. And 
I, I like that they didn't act as that. Like, even though it was not an amicable breakup, uh, I like that they ex- acknowledge that. Yeah, it's the character didn't die. Yeah. It didn't die, and he's not just he didn't just disappear. And they're finding a way to make Jin Yang a new Ehrlich, but a potentially antagonistic yeah. one. Yeah, and one uh, in which yeah you don't know. He's kind of a wild card, and that's exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, uh, I'm excited about the, you know, uh, the, the, I, I don't want to give uh, what happens at the end of the second episode, I, mm-hmm. I guess for people who aren't caught up, I don't want to say, but it seems like that is something I've wanted the show to do for a while. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about the very end of the episode. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like in terms of changing, there's a, there's a, there, one of the things that is, Two of my favorite comedies on TV are Silicon Valley and Last Man on Earth, but they both kind of have a similar problem in which every once or twice a season there'll be something to be like, oh my god, this is completely game changing, right. and then it takes them the space of one episode to like, well, I guess things are kind of different, but we've essentially reestablished the status quo. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yes. And that what happened in the end of the second episode could end up just being that again, right? But it see it's it seems like it it also could be something that shakes them up uh in a way that i've wanted i was thinking about that status quo thing recently uh because of these episodes and it got me thinking that like the characters are or at least richard they are changing a little at a time and i think in tv we are used to characters changing and certainly in movies relatively quickly like we if we want to see either this is going to be episodic or it needs to be serialized and the characters need to learn something notable from episode to episode and certainly from season to season i do think silicon valley even though it is it is a heightened uh version of our reality i feel like with the character of richard he's learning and growing at about the level of humans yeah uh, you know i think about like the issue whatever issues i might have and I look, I think about like, what progress have I made? It's like, oh, there's probably this and there's that. It's like, damn, I started working on this two years ago. <laughs> like, how have I made so little progress? And it's like, that's probably just kind of how it works for most people. Yeah. And I think that's something, and like, and it's going to be a return to status quo because people's issues tend to be somewhat cyclical. And, and right. so I, but I don't I think like the show it. has done as good a job of, commenting on that as say the sopranos did right oh yeah no not at all um like except like when uh when dinesh became ceo and <laughs> and and literally like on one hand it's like oh this is an interesting development but also there's nothing in that character that would allow this to work the way it needs to work for it to be long lasting so that was a way i think that was kind of a commentary on like using yeah that's true using the return to the status quo as a way of commenting on certain characters. Um, one thing I thought was uh, interesting in terms of growth, if that's what you want to call it for Richard, is it seemed like in last season there was a lot of like, you know, how far is Richard willing to go in terms of yeah. immorality? And there were things that like Jared was actually like not comfortable with yeah. or whatever. And then in the first episode here, you've got him doing kind of a shitty thing to slice line. Yeah. Do you remember? Yes. And the show not even literally commenting on it. Just like saying, well, this is maybe he's been in this world at this level of power long enough. Maybe this is just a part of who he is now. And I mean, this is the kind of this is the kind of unethical thing that is much more standard for the world they're in. (laughs) Right. I think like almost if you do something bad on a large enough level on a large (laughs) enough scale, it's kind of okay. And if you can get away with it, awesome. Yeah, that's uh what That's do you think true. of the way they're using Ga- uh, Gavin? Um, I, I'm just I'm glad to see Gavin around. Yes, whenever. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like he's uh, right now. They're, I, I guess I'm not sure what exactly when you say the way they're using Gavin. I'm not sure what you're referring to. But what I'm thinking is with Jin Yang being the potential threat to the company. Yeah. Gavin now just seems like an ongoing B plot or C plot. Sure. That doesn't really affect Pied Piper right yeah. now. It did at the beginning of the first episode when he hired all of the programmers that they were looking at. 
Um, but it is interesting to just see like, okay, I guess Gavin's just an ongoing story in the show, not necessarily an antagonist, although he would, would like to be. Yes. Okay. I guess that, that is helpful for me because yeah, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so, but what are they doing with him? Where can they go? And you kind of realize like the only, an- the only person he antagonizes is himself. Right. Like other people don't ruin things for him. Yeah. He ruins things for himself. Yeah. Except which is, when they tell him the truth in meetings and immediately right. get fired. <laughs> and then immediately uses that person as, as a casual example of what could happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I'm liking, I'm liking the season so far. All right.